Welcome to the rule number 62, Don't Take Yourself Too Seriously workshop. My name is Leanne. I'm a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this meeting. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Before we get started, we ask that all cell phones or other electronic equipment be turned off. Even if you think it's off, please make sure. This session is being taped. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. Please remember, two hatters, i.e. OA members affiliated with re related facilities or other 12-step programs, are requested to speak on their recovery in the OA program only. An Ask It basket will be circulated for the question and answer portion of this session. If there is any press in this room, please respect our anonymity by not taking any pictures, using a video camera, or using our full names. The format for this session is as follows. Two speakers will share for 25 minutes each, followed by 15 minutes of questions and answers. The topic for this, set, excuse me, the topic for this session is rule number 62, don't take yourself too seriously. Our first speaker is Shirley, and our second speaker will be Fred. My name is Shirley. I'm a compulsive overeater and a grazer. And I want to welcome everyone. And I want to thank the committee uh, for inviting me here to speak. And I want to thank them. Thank you for all your hard work. I've been on these committees, and I know exactly this stuff doesn't get done uh, by not doing anything. And you get to practice your patience. That's one of the things I get to. A lot of people don't know what Rule 62 is. Rule 62 comes from the AA 12 and 12 from Tradition 4, uh, where it says you don't take yourself too damn seriously. And I'm quoting, too damn seriously. So there you go. Uh, and also in the big book, because this is where uh, we get our answers, at least this is where I get my answers, on page uh, 132 of the big book, We've been speaking to you of serious, sometimes tragic things. We've been dealing with alcohol, or in our case, food, in its worst aspect. But we aren't a glum lot. If newcomers could see no joy or fun in our existence, they wouldn't want it. We absolutely insist on enjoying life. And, um, you know, when I, uh, I've been in program by the grace of God, uh, 16 years I celebrated last week, and uh, it's the longest I've done anything. You know, I don't do stuff. I'm a runner. I just take off. I try it for a while, and uh, oh, that's not going to work. So, I mean, that's how I dieted. I would did Jenny Craig. I'd reach goal. I did Weight Watchers. I'd reach goal. And then I would have way too much shame to go back, and uh, I would do something new. But in Overeaters Anonymous, I'm here to tell you I'm grateful to the people that have the courage to come back. I don't know if I would have that courage uh, because I come from the land of shame and blame. And uh, it's just, uh, 
I want to look good, you know, and I found out, you know, here you uh, can either save your face or save your ass. And, uh, you know, I got to tell you, I'm here to save my ass. Uh, have a seat. Um, speaking of, have a seat. Uh, you know, I told my girlfriend that I, that I was asked to speak on this topic, and uh, she said, you have to tell them the mouse story. So I said, okay. So here's my mouse story. I had a couple of cats. I was living at the house, and I, I had this mouse, and the cats couldn't find the mouse. So somebody said I had to call. They have professional people that come and kill mice when your cats don't do their job, you know. So uh, I called this guy, and uh, I explained the situation, and I told him I, where I thought they were. Now, I'm, come, I'm originally from a farm in Minnesota. I've caught gophers. I've caught, you know, just about everything, but I could not catch this mouse. I had traps and, uh, you know, the spring traps and everything. So I'm watching this guy, and he's bringing all this stuff out, and he has this little flat board type thing, and I see him spread something on it. And I said, what is that? And he said, it's a mousetrap. I said, you're kidding. I said, what does it do? He said, it catches mice. <laughs> I said, really? I said, what are you putting on it? And he said, oh, he said, we put peanut butter. I said, really? What kind? <laughs> you know, and when I, he, the look that he gave me when I asked him, because my first mind went, oh, my God, if it's Jeff, I'm dead. Because <laughs> that's my favorite kind of peanut butter. And, uh, you know, that's how God takes care of me periodically. Um, another thing that I wanted to share with you, I'm a real visual person. And there is a company that uh, advertises these little easy buttons. And for me, I have, I added a does it on it. Easy does it, because that was totally foreign to me when I came into these rooms. Uh, you know, I, uh, I'm the type of a person that, uh, you know, everything is so much drama. And I, and I didn't realize, you know, when you're raised in an alcoholic family, and, uh, you know, my dad was a rageaholic, which, you know, I didn't know what that word was. And my mom was a compulsive overeater. I didn't know what that was. And uh, so there was a lot of drama. And uh, my sponsor told me that I bypass disappointment and go right to devastation. So uh, there's, there's no middle ground. There's no gray area. And, you know, you've taught me in program that there is gray area. Uh, when we moved into this house, I live in a town called Shadow Hills. For those of you who aren't familiar with it, it's north of Burbank. If you look on the map, it'll say Sunland, California. But somebody decided, I guess, that Shadow Hills sounds a little more hoo-hoo, so I live in Shadow Hills. And it's horse country. There's horses around there. So I've kind of come full circle. You know, I was raised on a farm in Minnesota. And now I'm back on a farm, except uh, my neighbors have the horses and I've got the swimming pool. <laughs> it's really tough. Um, so uh, when I saw this button, uh, you know, when you've been in program a while, at least for me, I can pick out something in, that, that works with the program. You know, if I see somebody climbing the ladder, oh, they're doing the steps. You know, I mean, I'm just programmed to think program. And uh, when we moved in this house, uh, my husband and I, uh, 
got married. We've been together for 20, gosh, 26, 27 years, but we were married uh, 10 years this year because I was never getting married again. So you see how that worked. God had another plan. And um, this is the first house in my whole life that I've ever had a dishwasher. I've never had a dishwasher. And, uh, I mean, that was such a big deal to me, to have a dishwasher. Well, i got to tell you, I hate unloading that goddamn thing. It just irritates the hell out of me. So, you know, I can want something and want something and want something. And then when I get it, you know, it's like, now what? You know, and I think that's part of being an addict. And when I was looking over the schedule, there's so many workshops that I want to go to. And I can't possibly... Go to all of them. And rather than eating over it, I push my button. That was easy. See how that is? So that's what I do. <clears throat> I have this button in my kitchen. And when I don't have any dishes left and I have to unload the dishwasher, which takes me all, probably five minutes. That was easy. You see, I make such a big deal out of everything. And it's my own doing. It's my own character defects. I will leave this up here. If somebody says anything, you can just, uh, if, they, if they're having it too tough, or that can be the timer. Uh, and another thing that uh, my, my whole, um, my whole uh, people in pro, are, are in program now. My friends are all in program. I no longer uh, drink alcohol. That's another program. So I'm pretty boring to those people now. So I, uh, you know, they don't want to be around me. I'm just not any fun anymore. And uh, so it's interesting to me that that you once you get in 12-step program, you pretty much stick to 12-step program friends. At least that's been my experience. Because other people just don't get it. You know, today waiting for lunch. I mean, I got to tell you, a normie would not have had the tornado stomach that I had when I sat there for 45 minutes and didn't have my food. I mean, if you think of, if you've seen Psycho, the shower team, I, 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 you know, that was me when I didn't get my food, you know, because I was nervous, I got anxious, I was afraid I wasn't going to be here on time, and you know what? So I get up, and I come here without eating. <laughs> if you think that's going to happen, you're nuts. <laughs> I know enough people around here to grab something off their plate. Um my husband uh, is Japanese, and uh, a lot of people want to know why my name says W.M., uh, Shirley W.M. Uh, well, my last name before we got married started with a W, and that's how everybody knew me. And, uh, and there were there's three Shirleys at our meetings, and, uh, and now my married name starts with M. So I looked at that, and I thought, W.M., I was W., and I turned it over, and now I'm M. Ah, you see how that works? And, uh, and that's what I'm talking about as far as program is concerned. Now, I was living in Mon or, uh, visiting in Montana, and I'm going to cover this up. You see this picture of these little kids, and for those on the tape, it's a picture of a little blonde, blue-eyed girl sitting in a galvanized bathtub uh, tub uh, with a little Japanese boy. And, I mean, I have not seen that, that combination. You know, I mean, I've, I've seen it, but I've not seen it in a picture. 
So I was looking at that picture, and I thought, oh, my God, you know, our spirits, these kids are so happy. There's no discrimination when we come into this world. And I was thinking what I could put under it to signify our spirits. And I thought, you know, I'll just, I'll just put under there soulmates. And I thought, no, soulmates. There's too many people are soulmates. Um, so I really thought about it, and I prayed about it. And this is what I came up with. When potatoes meets rice. (laughs) And I thought, man, that's absolutely perfect. Because he has to get used to my mashed potatoes and I have to get used to his rice. And you know what? If it's a carb, I'll just suffer. I love it all. one of the things uh, that I that this program taught me to do that I can do anything. I'm having my childhood now because I didn't have one when I was a child, and uh, I uh, I took an early retirement and uh, I'm in a career now that I really really like. It's uh, it's very slow. There's not much happening right now. There's been a couple of strikes in it, and uh, but I love children and uh, I'm a fairy grandma. I do children's parties. And uh, one of the, uh, uh, my website's fairygrandma.com, if you don't believe me. I'm rigorously honest now. And uh, my grant, the, the producer wanted to do a film. They were doing a uh, documentary on seniors with second careers. And uh, he asked me if I would be so kind as to get a bunch of pictures of when I was younger up until current. And man, if you think that's not going to get you, you know, that's the advantage of not throwing anything away. You know, I had all these boxes to go through in the garage, and I tried to get pictures lined up for him. And uh, they were going to scan them and put them on this website. So uh, I picked my grandson up on school from school on uh, Thursdays, and this was on a Thursday. Uh, I had all the, he was nine at the time. He's 11 now. And I had all these pictures spread out on my dining room table. And he had never seen these, you know, pictures. He's never seen me when I was young. And, uh, God, this has fascinated him. And he's looking at these pictures, and he's just kind of walking around the table. And he sees the pictures in the 30, and he goes, Grandma, is that Mom? I said, no, honey, that's Grandma. He goes, really? Yeah, that's Grandma. So then he gets up to current, and he just, gets this look in his face, and he goes, Grandma. He said, how did you get so old? (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't ask myself that question every day, you know. And I said, well, Tyler, I said, honey, if you don't die, you get old. (laughs) He said, said, that makes sense. (laughs) So, you know, out of the mouths of babes, and I'm thinking, you know, I don't ever remember not only seeing my parents young, but I never saw my grandparents young. You know, I just don't think about that. And in my generation, they didn't have that many cameras. And, uh, you know, it was just kind of an added expense. You know, I mean, I, I look at the things that he has now with all the computer games and, and all of the things that these kids have. Uh, you know, I played with dirt, you know. I mean, that, that was my deal. And... Um, you know, you just, I, I remember my mom making, uh, because I'm part of the Depression, I remember her painting spools and and putting a string through them, and that was my brother's gift for Christmas. That was a train, you know, and I remember, if any of you know what hollyhocks are, we made dolls out of hollyhocks and these little clothespins, we made dolls out of those, you know, and you just get by. Now the kids have so much stuff 
that, uh, you know, it, it's just a big choice they have to do. Uh, one of the things, too, that I was thinking about, you know, don't take yourself so seriously. Um, there's a lot of things that, that, you know, I can laugh about today that I couldn't laugh about at the time it happened. And I know that, that people say, you know, when a little time passes, I remember my mother said, you'll laugh about this one day. No, I won't. And when I was dating, the biggest thing, I mean, I had two dates one night, and I just thought, I don't know what I'm going to do. And she said, you'll look back on this, and you'll laugh. No, I won't. So I have, uh, would you hand me that shirt? Thank you. This is something that took uh, probably two years of therapy, and... Uh, Oh, gosh, I don't think I laughed about this until about two years ago, really. But I ran across a shirt that was in the closet. And for those of you that can't see it, uh, uh, it is a, uh, what do you guys call this, guys? Thank you. Jersey. Okay, it's a football jersey, okay? Uh, it's got a number 42 on the front, and it's got my husband's last name on the back. And uh, when he turned 50... Uh, he's just a football fanatic, and uh, I'm going to be a football widow. And uh, when he turned 50, I really wanted to do something special for him. So uh, I said, honey, I, when you played football, uh, what was your football number? What was your jersey number? He said, 42. I said, okay. Just let it go. And... Uh, so I went down to one of these uh, sports places that make shirts. I called his old high school. I got his school colors. And uh, I had this shirt made up for him. And I thought, you know, a very expensive shirt, I might add, when you only order one. I had to make payments on it. Uh, so I was so excited to give him this shirt. I mean, I was like a little kid when, you, when you're going to give somebody a present. Like Christmas, you just can't wait. I just can't wait to give it to him. And uh, I had uh, this special dinner lined up. I made sushi. I made, uh, I had gotten some taquan. I had uh, teriyaki chicken. I mean, this was going to be, I mean, I knew I was going to get laid. That's, I'll tell you that right now. There's no doubt about it. This was going to be the night. Okay, I could not wait. So I come in the house, and and I, I I said, honey, open your present. And I'm so excited, and my heart is going so fast. And he pulled out this shirt, and he looked at me, and he goes, my number was 43. Oh, my God. Can I tell you the night did not turn out the way I had planned? I mean... I'm telling you, I was so upset. This thing has been hanging in the closet. Finally, two years ago, I thought, and I said, I'm going to wear this damn thing if he's not going to wear it. So I wear it. So, you know, I think for me, the character, my, one of my biggest character defects is unrealistic expectations. Expecting people to respond to stuff like I respond to stuff. I mean, he had absolutely no idea what I went through. <laughs> literally, to make this special. And he's never had anybody in his life to make him feel special before me. You know, this is what the therapist told me anyway. <laughs> you know, I don't go to her anymore either, you know. <laughs> uh, 
You know, and I think that's what it is. I think because I know not only the, uh, is our culture different, but it's just learning. And I had so many expectations. And basically, I think I expected my husband to, you know, be the mom and dad I didn't have, you know, the sister and brother I didn't have. I just wanted him to be everything that I didn't have. And it's impossible for one person to meet all your needs. And my sponsor says, that's what you have a higher power for. And, uh, you know, if there was such a thing, you know, as a perfect person, uh, I, I think I'll probably meet him in the, you know, when I uh, graduate from this disease, which is when I'm talking to the worms, you know. I saw the funniest shirt when I was in Minneapolis. I went to the World Convention there, and they've got the Mall of America. And uh, I, I so wish I would have bought it, just because I laughed so hard when I saw it. And uh, for you guys here, you can you can reverse it. It can be a... a a uh, man sitting on the on the bench on the park bench as opposed to a woman. But this particular shirt is this woman. She's sitting on a bus bench, and she's all skeletal, and she's got this hat on and earrings, and the cobwebs are going from the earring to the shoulder, all wrapped around her purse. And the caption underneath it says, "Still waiting for the perfect man." <laughs> And, you know, and I think that's what it is. If we just wait for the perfect thing, it's just not going to happen. And and for me, uh, you know, not having the expectations and just accepting, you know, what happens one day at a time, you know, life is pretty darn hard. At least it is for me. Uh, you know, I could do, you know, write six pages on the gas prices right now. And uh, but I'm powerless over that stuff. So uh, I think my time is just about up, and I was worried about speaking today. That was easy. Thank you. about a lot of different things, and it's in the history of 
Alcoholics Anonymous, which I am also a member of, and it's a very important part of that history. To me, it means self-importance. And when, when she said that to me, I thought, of course I know what it is. Why would I volunteer? And she says to me, I didn't say it like that. I just kind of was taken aback. And I, and I said, well, oh, that, that's an odd question. She says, well, I've asked three people to do it so far, and nobody knew what it was. And they all agreed to do it. <laughs> I don't have visuals, like, truly, so I have to tell jokes. Um, anyway, let, let me just share a, a little bit about my understanding of uh, Rule 62, what it comes from, and I think the significance of, for me in my life in, in recovery. Um, first of all, I've been in uh, Overeaters Anonymous for a little over three years, and I've been absent for uh, two years and eight months. I'm in the uh, OA 90-day program, and uh, I'm really grateful. I was in the other program for a long time, thought I knew a lot about addiction. I knew I had a problem with food, but it took me a long time to decide that I needed to do something totally different than just a, you know, a normal diet and, and continued eating and, and damaging myself. I, I, I lost, since becoming abstinent, I've had about a 60-pound, 60 62-pound weight loss, and I've maintained that. Uh, and I'm a new person. I'm, a, I'm a, a reborn person, really, in terms of where I am in my physical health. My, I mean, that really improved drastically when I came in. I had been already a diabetic, and uh, diabetes was pretty rampant in my background and in my family, and I was seeing its destruction and its pull like a tornado going through different family members. Uh, but in spite of that knowledge, in spite of what I knew about, you know, addiction, I kept um, staying in, in food for comfort. You know, that's, that's, I know why, that's why I ate the way I ate. And I knew I was, you know, the weight, of course, that's one of the biggest, the extra weight is one of the biggest problems for managing uh, good health in general, and especially for diabetics, and that's, probably one of the leading causes of all the new diabetes that's occurring. But I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to talk about that much more. Um, I, uh, I just, when I finally got in and realized that what people in the rooms were talking about, it wasn't just about weight loss, but that's what I wanted. I just saw a lot of serenity, a lot of humor, a lot of happiness, and people, and, and I felt very comfortable. You know, I just felt like I'm at home finally. And uh, I've really grasped on to staying abstinent and uh, learning to live with the 12 steps applied in, in this program to my life. Where Rule 62, I think, becomes really significant, and I'll, and I'll share, share some things with you, is, you know, I'm basically, I mean, Rule 62 is in the fourth tradition of our literature. And, and, and it talks about it in the AA 12 and 12 um, um, book. And, 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 and the fourth tradition is um, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or AA as a whole. And, and we know that, that every meeting decides what to do and how to do it. Um, 
but as long as we're not doing things that are outside of the mainstream of what our fellowship is all about, you know, then we're we're okay to do that. You know, we can read things in different order. We can define absence and you know, however, all that stuff. Um, and the story about Rule 62 is in 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 the book here, but it does have it does have a history. Um, what it's grounded in is a couple things. I believe this is my belief. It's not the, you know, I'm basically rebellious. I think addicts and all the people that I've, most people I've met are rebellious, whether we're eating, we're abstinent, struggling, whatever we're doing, drinking, not drinking, whatever our addiction is. But in, in the food addiction, if I'm if I, I'm abstinent. I am one rebellious son of a gun. I am really rebellious. The first word out of my mouth most of the time is when you ask me if I want to do something, it's no. I mean, I just I just react that way. I'm wired that way. I mean, ever since I was a young kid, I mean, I resisted and I wanted to rebel and it wasn't good enough. And I think um, knowing that about being an addict and knowing that about myself is always important. I don't want to forget that. And for me also, uh, finally, thank goodness, um, I was faced with two options with my uh, eating and my food addiction. One was um, to, you know, avoid doing anything about it and become more rigid, um, closed-minded, and try to do things on my own. Or the other was to choose the path of being open and listening to what other solutions there may be that was, you know, it wasn't just about diets, but it was also about um, a higher power and that a higher power, a spiritual life, growing emotionally. I could get a lot of that from all of you and listening to how you traveled your course in terms of recovery. Um, Bill W. and and the other program, you know, the founder who, you know, the 12-step programs are around because of of his and and others. Um, He chose the route of trying to be open in spite of this guy having an ego bigger than to walk through that door. And often... That's the way I am. I mean, I have a huge ego, self-importance. And I'm going to keep talking about self-importance and how it relates to this Rule 62. There was another gentleman in the thir- between 1939 and 1941. AA had already started, and it was really growing. As you know, the book that we a lot of us look at, the big book, was um, first put out in 1939. But between 39 and 41, there was all kinds of growth all kinds of people um, changing, but there was lots of controversy on how things should be done. Okay. And um, there was one gentleman who got sober in, I think, 1940. Um, was even had a larger ego than, than uh, Bill Wilson and decided with the group... Uh, and, it's in, and they talk about Middletown, USA, and, and the fourth tradition here. They came up with this great idea to develop three separate corporations to get the message to alcoholics. Okay, which one was uh, a club, one was a clinic, 
and the other was a, um, a loan, loan corporation to fund treatments and things like that. So what they did was is they wrote up a, like a, a business plan and a charter and 61 rules that went along with that. Very rigid, put on paper, black and white, you know, had everything that a business plan would have. And they sent it to the New York, uh, what is now World Service, like we have, right? They sent it and they wanted to be um, super chartered. They wanted official, you know, um, acceptance and, and they wanted the New York uh, office to condone it and approve it, sanction it, whatever word you want to use. And Bill Wilson, who uh, um, basically was one of the people who would respond, right? And remember, this guy's very, very big ego, self-important, the big guy, the one who wanted, you know, a lot of pressure that he put on himself and a lot of other people put on him to run the org, you know, run AA, right? And we know today in this fellowship that we're in that nobody runs it, nobody governs it. I mean, if you look through the traditions, right, you see all these incredible um, principles that keep us going. Because if, if I was running the show, we wouldn't be here. If a lot of us was trying to run the show, we wouldn't be here. We just couldn't exist. And that's a paradox. But anyway, what happened is the note that they wrote back to the um, group that, and that particularly spearheaded by this one gentleman, was, look, you know, lesser efforts have failed. However, you have the right to do whatever you want. But we haven't seen any success, and this is humongous in terms of what you're trying to do. But you can choose to ignore it. And so what happened? They chose to ignore it. What happened? Everything went amok. Things broke apart. Relationships soured. They finally wrote back after a while. I don't know what the time period is. And said, before a note to uh, Bill Wilson, but before and he sent this out, this, this gentleman, a little note on a little like card that was folded with a letter, and it was like a, like a golf uh, scorecard. It was a little fold. They had sent this to all the AA groups around the country, and then they sent a letter to the, the New York office, and Bill Wilson basically saying, you were right. It was a miserable experience. You failed. And then the little card, when you opened it, it had the name of the group that it was sent to. And um, you opened it, and it said, Rule 62, please don't take yourself so damn seriously. So that's the story about it. And I think it's, uh, for me, it's pretty fascinating because back then, you see those that incident and a lot of other experiences is what gave birth to the traditions because the traditions didn't come right away. And so our traditions are kind of based on that story and many others um, that we keep our groups together. And so um, that, excuse me, I'm back. Um, I think uh, uh, the way they replied to it and the way that they respected that there was this potential thing that was happening that was going to go wrong, that they didn't want to see it go wrong, but they allowed it to happen, I think was, was wonderful, you know. 
So how does this apply to me and my story? Let me. So that that's that's what uh, six, rule 62 is from my perspective, and it's written about in a couple sources, and I can tell you where I've read about it and, and what I know about it. Uh, see me after. Um, how does this impact me? Well, like I said, I, I'm a control freak, I think. Um, I can be extremely self-absorbed. I mean, I think a lot of my eating was that I had to do something to change the way I felt. I, 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 me, me, me. It was hard for me to look outside of myself. And even though my self-esteem a lot of times during times of out-of-control eating was low, for some reason I still had this burning uh, perception, understanding that um, I was it, you know, that I was the only person in the world, you know, with problems, with issues, and that I had to solve those problems. Um, I think one of the lessons from that story I told is that by allowing ourselves to get self-important, I know for me, and before getting into the program, and assuming that everything was about me getting what I wanted, I would just go off track all the time. I had no connection to what was the right thing to do, what what was the, the best thing to do for my own health. Um, so it's self-promotion, I think, that rule talks a lot about. And I can sit in these meetings and make opinions and judgments about what's being done right, what's not being done right. And then I realize I catch myself and go, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's not, just listen. You know, just watch what's going on. You have things to learn, Fred. You know, so, um, and when I get focused on a problem in my life and I obsess about it, that self-importance starts to, to kind of raise its, its ugly head for me. Uh, I start to forget that there's other people in the world. I start, you know, so, so I've done some real damage in relationships, whether it's at work or family, by just, by just being so centered on what I need and what I have to have. Um, so what I've learned to do is to practice uh, self-restraint. Obviously, with what I do is I weigh and measure my food. I eat three meals a day. I don't eat in between. I don't eat flour and sugar. The thought of weighing my and measuring my food in, in the beginning was just totally crazy. I mean, I just thought, you're nuts. You know, and you hear that a lot when people share. But that's, yeah, I've learned to practice self-restraint because as soon as I started doing that, one, I started to feel instantly better. I obviously, the weight basically melt, melted off. I mean, I haven't been this size and this weight for 34 years. Um, so self-restraint became freedom, you know, that I was able to find that as I thought about it and I fear, feared it earlier, you know, about doing a food plan that re, what I thought restricted me became 
freedom, not, not self-restraint. So now I see those words as being really positive. Um, self-restraint in other ways for me since being in the program, and this is beyond the physical recovery, it's the mental and spiritual recovery. Watching what I say, you know, restraint of tongue and pen. Oh, boy. I got a tongue that's like a snake sometimes. You know, I can be real sarcastic or say something totally appropriate, you know, not even realize it. Um, and many, many times I've realized it. Not only did I realize it, I planned it, <laughs> you know. Um, you know, in the age of email now, right, I, I work in a job, I work from home, and I'm in front of the computer, and the majority of my communication is on the telephone and writing. And I can't tell you how many times I've saved the email and didn't send it and said, I better read this in about an hour and make sure this isn't going to offend anybody. Or, yeah, I'm not being a smart ass because I'm so important. You know, so... Um, and then the other big one, the big one for me in terms of self-restraint, the hardest one that I really am having trouble getting my arms around is self-restraint with my thinking. Yeah. I say in meetings sometimes, you know, if I, if I don't take the first think, I won't get thunk. Yeah. And I really, I really believe that the Rule 62 really comes in handy to remember that because usually when I'm overthinking something, plotting, anticipating, fearing, I'm taking myself too damn seriously. How, how, how do I keep checks on that? Well, I've got I'm very fortunate that I have more than one sponsor because I'm in more than one program. And I have two gentlemen that clearly, clearly love me and love me when they have to be direct and tough. They let me make my, they allow me to, you know, talk through my stuff and then walk through my stuff. And, and I'm really grateful for that. And I have others in my life uh, that have taught me so much. And all of you, uh, when I listen to you, if I stop coming through those doors, um, I believe I'm starting to take myself too seriously. I really believe that. Um, in active addiction, you know, I was starting to, I mentioned this earlier, we do have choices, you know, and I, and, and I think we just have few choices, though. Um, we can become abstinent, or we can be crazy and insane, or we, we can die. And I've heard a couple times today people talking about the death that comes from this disease and this um, life that we live is slow. It's not as quickly as you may see it in, in some of the other addictions. It is slow. And I'm a prime example of it. You know, I, I've been diabetic for 10 years, I mentioned. When I came in, my blood sugars were going up, not down. I was on oral medication. I was told that I was basically moving into the next phase of having to inject myself with insulin every day. Um, I didn't see any end to, you know, the weight issue. But today, I don't take any kind of medication at all, and I manage it by my diet or my, you know, my food choices and, and exercise and uh, good humor. <laughs> okay. um, 
so I, my choice of those three options that I just mentioned, uh, abstinence, insanity, and death, is I've definitely chosen abstinence. I, I, I want to keep my abstinence. I am not guaranteed that that will happen unless I use all the tools that we talk about and read about at every meeting. I have consciously chosen not to be insane. I don't know how successful I've been at that. I mean, I can make that choice, but that doesn't mean in reality that my actions aren't insane actions. And here's, for me, uh, the bottom line, I think, in all this. Um, you know, we have such a rich history. Um, we are so fortunate. I mean, this is 2008. You know, our roots go back to the the third 1930s, um, and what they learned, I think, in the and, and we're still learning today, I believe. Um, when was the last time you were at a meeting and something was going on that you had a question? Is this according to traditions? I mean, how many of you have been able to take a, you know, I'm sure you can remember. If you've been to a meeting in the last week, uh, for me, it would be the last meeting that I was in. I'm going, oh, you know, we're doing this right. Um, I think what we learned in our history uh, is that it's better to take the root of openness and acceptance and allow things to occur as they naturally can occur with, with faith and a higher power, which I choose to call God, uh, rather than try to become rigid, forceful, dictatorial, um, and adding rules. And to me, uh, if I forget uh, that I'm right next to uh, becoming full of myself, as other people would say it a different way, I won't say it that way, um, then I'm really, I believe, risking my sanity but my abstinence. And if I lose my abstinence, I believe it's not the end of the world. I don't know if I'll come back. That's what scares me. If I lose my abstinence, I risk my entire life, and so guess what is left? I have those other two options that are more uh, visible, more of a possibility, insanity and death. And, uh, you know, I used to think, die? Come on. But I believe that today. And I've seen so many people not make it, um, not just drop their abstinence, um, but lose their life because uh, their choice, not that they could do any better at the time, um, went in a different direction. And so I think, you know, rules are good. Um, Rule 62, uh, as we've talked about, um, really, I think, can save, save ourselves and save a lot of other people. And so in carrying the message, you know, we just need to be observant and to listen well. Uh, and, and, you know, somebody used to say to me a long time ago, when I was going into a tough situation, like even like a job interview, listen and respond. And that made so much sense rather than try to anticipate, control, manipulate. So that's it. I'm done.
Thank you. I will now draw questions from the Ask It basket, and we'll do this for 15 minutes. So. What are some of the things you do to lighten up? No pun intended. Which of you would like to do that? Shirley? Uh, I have this, I think I was raised with this button of that I need to be treated special. You know, I, I just want to be special. And uh, I heard somebody share at a meeting, you know, they said, uh, treat me special, I feel normal, treat me normal, and I feel neglected. <laughs> and, you know, I don't think much of myself, but I'm all I ever think about. So there you go. <laughs> Okay. When did OA get a 90-day program? I've been in meetings since the 80s and since 02 have a commitment of weekly home meeting. Did we copy FA? Fred, you want to address that? Um, I can address it partially, I think, but I, I'm not an authority on it. I, um, if the question was, when did OA get a 90-day program? I believe the program OA90 began on the East Coast in the Boston, greater Boston area. And I think that happened about 20 years ago or so. And uh, people that migrated away from that area, geographic area to places like Florida, and I believe out here in California, brought the, the program out here about, well, at least in California, I'd say 12 or so years ago. And uh, the other part, it, okay, since, uh, did we copy FA? Uh, I, I, no, I don't think so. I think what happened is, it's perfect at this topic, controversy, uh, like, you know, in, in um, the other fellowship, they said, it's, you know, there's so many meetings in, in this valley. Uh, all you need is a resentment and a coffee pot. <laughs> in OA, we don't drink or eat in meetings, right? But I think what happened is that OA 90 was, uh, you know, existing and going, and then um, in this area, some people broke off. There was also OA How, and, but I think we we're a little similar, and then there's some people that broke off and decided to start some FA meetings. But I do think FA was in other areas at the, at the same time. Uh, what's the full quote from the 12 and 12? It, it must be from the fourth tradition. Don't take yourself so damn seriously. I'll read, I'll read this real quick. Uh, the head promoter wrote the foundation office. He said he wished he'd paid some attention to AA experience, duh, 
Um, then he did something else that was to become an AA classic. It all went on a little card about golf score size. The cover read, Middleton Group Number 1, Rule Number 62. Once the card was unfolded, a single pungent sentence leaped to the eye. Don't take yourself too damn seriously. Page 149 of the AA 12 and 12. How do you maintain a light heart when dealing with tragedy, death, loss of whatever, etc. Thanks for your service. You know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I lost one of my kittens, my cats, and uh, it was interesting. Uh, we came home. Uh, we with a we have a little house in the back because there's coyotes where we are, and we we have to lock our cats up at night. And uh, I came home from a meeting, and I heard the, I heard the Bubba, the cat, uh, which maybe this this story, the Bubba story, the history of this cat. My husband uh, and I were uh, split up before we got married, and uh, to make sure I would never see him again, he hated cats. I went out and got two cats, <laughs> and uh, I show him. And uh, what happened is we found a nest of cats and, uh, you know, being from a farm, I'm a real good nurturer and uh, one of the three lived and we called her Miss Miracle and when it came time to take her to the vet, uh, the vet said, you better change the cat's name, it's the male. So because he had never had a cat, uh, he named him Bubba. He's a football player, why wouldn't he name him Bubba? So uh, we had this cat for about 15 years, and this was a real bonding thing for he and I because, uh, you know, his experience with cats were just somebody that something that crapped in his flowers, you know. That was not my experience with cats. He had never had kittens or anything like that. So this cat was real important to us. It was really the first cat he ever really loved. And, uh, and when this cat died, uh, what, one of the things that my sponsor had me do it's writing history of from the time you met the animal or, or this person you love, be it a brother or sister or whatever, write your history and know that you love this person as much as you could. And in this particular case, this cat, there's no one in the world could have loved that cat more than I did. And the bottom line is, is that animals don't live as long as people do. And I had to be grateful that, you know, living where we do, that the cat had never been eaten by a coyote. And we had to go through the gratitude that we had the cat as long as we did. Because, it's, you know, pets give you unconditional love. Unfortunately, people don't. But, uh, you know, we, uh, we have uh, all of our animals, because we live in a, in a rural area, they're uh, buried under my lemon tree. So, uh, you know, I can go out and talk to them whenever I want to. And, you know... Once I take you in my heart, you're in my heart forever. So, uh, and then somebody sent me the Rainbow Bridge, uh, which talks about uh, crossing on the other side, that when your animal passes, that uh, they're no longer in pain, and they're happy, joyous, and free, and they will meet you again one day. So thanks. I recently realized 
that a lot of my seriousness with others is because of difficulty setting boundaries. Do you know of a way to learn about setting boundaries working the steps? Do you have a sponsor? Whoever <laughs> I'm done. No. Um. <laughs> You know, uh, the first, I keep reading this, yeah, taking ourselves seriously spreads. That's one thing I would say. Uh, and, you know, this issue about setting boundaries, uh, yeah, I think by working the steps, if that's what's implied here, uh, and working with a sponsor, building a relationship with that person uh, and to be able to talk about the situations that one finds themselves having those difficulties around boundaries and you will find many other types of things I think. I think that's what my experience has been. Uh, you know I hear this when I think about the steps you know, people say, work them. You know, I say, take them, do them, read them, work, talk to your sponsor about it, do what they did. That's, you know, I mean, my sponsor passed on to me how they took the steps, and that's how I pass it on. And those issues will come up. And so in, in this case, uh, I've had some of those. How do you, you know, how do you deal with this uh, around boundaries? And you, you do learn. Now, I think it comes intuitively as, as much as it does through that relationship. My sponsor tells me to lighten up, not be afraid, and have more fun. Can you give me specific, which is underlined three times, suggestions on how to do this? I'm sorry, I was talking. <laughs> My sponsor tells me to lighten up, not be afraid, and have more fun. Can you give me specific, three times underlined, suggestions on how to do this? You know, for me to have fun, I, like I said, the easy does it thing, that just wasn't in my vocabulary because I, I was raised pretty serious and, uh, and being a perfectionist. And if I made a mistake, I would just beat myself to a bloody pulp. And, uh, you know, we get all these old tapes. And, you know, my mom and my grandmother, you know, uh, are not around anymore. But they're alive and well in my head. And... Uh, I think the biggest thing that has helped me is to uh, be around people that aren't negative. Um, you know, my grandson, I have fun with him. And, and I just, as I said, I'm having my childhood now. I, I do the fairy grandmother thing. I'm, I love working with kids. Uh, uh, hang around a bunch of kids, man. I'll tell you. Not only do they run their butt off, but I mean, they'll follow an ant on the sidewalk. They'll chase a butterfly. Just do all the stupid stuff that, you know, for me that I wasn't allowed to do. I, I didn't really have fun. We could have fun on Sunday after Mass. 
you know, oh crap, how do you plan that, you know? What I and, and unfortunately, most of my fun usually got me in trouble. So, uh, you know, I wanted to be an altar boy. I couldn't. Didn't that tick me off? Because I'm a girl. You know, it's just stuff like that. I mean, it's just just do stuff. Watch television. See some of the crazy stuff they do on television. And I like to try and do stuff that I think I can get by with. You know, mess with your husband. You know, that works real good for me. How do you remind yourself, in the middle of it all, to let go and laugh? I think that church is a perfect example. You need to. Oh, I forgot about those people out there. I'm in the now. Uh, I think probably the shirt. You know, the shirt is a perfect example. i got to tell you, it took me a long time. And the good news is, is that I didn't burn the damn thing. You know? It's just, uh, it, it just takes time. It takes time to have fun. Um, gosh, I'm just trying to think of another example. Uh, you know, my daughter, uh, she just celebrated her 40th birthday. You know, I have no idea how that happened because I'm only 35, you know. <laughs> and uh, I asked her what she wanted to do for her birthday. And, uh, God, she wanted to go to Vegas. I hate Vegas. Nothing personal. Cigarette smoke nearly kills me. I'm not a lucky gambler. Uh, I don't drink anymore. So uh, I don't like being around people who drink anymore because uh, it, it's a reminder of what I used to be like when I was drinking. And uh, But I just, I, I said, Lisa, I will do whatever you want to do. She wanted to go see Jersey Boys, which was just phenomenal. And uh, it was wonderful taking your kid to, to take you back to the music that you enjoyed as a kid. And I, uh, I made a promise to myself before I left, and I had to pray about it because I'm telling you, I did not want to go to Vegas. And, uh, but the bottom line, what came out of the writing was, surely it's not about you. God, who knew, you know? And, uh, you know, I get pissy and moany and whiny, and I have a girlfriend in program who I love to death, and I can be sitting in self-pity for two days and not even know it. And I'll talk to her, and she'll listen to me for about five or ten minutes, and then she puts her thumb in her mouth, and she goes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and she starts twisting her hair. And I just start laughing, you know, and I need that. So I hope that's Okay, um, we have more time, so would anybody like to add to the Ask It Basket? Right, okay. <laughs> no, it's because then we have to come up to the microphone and all that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Can you press the easy button one more time? That was easy. (laughs) 
It is now time to close this session. Let's thank our speakers and all who have done service for this session. Please stand and join hands as we close with the serenity prayer. the difference.